Hello and welcome to the Displaced African. The Displaced African is the African immigrant's personal development blog, which can be found at www.thedisplacedafrican.com. Just as as a as a follow up, then it seems like one of the most important things that determines um someone's relationship destiny isn't even doesn't even begin like even in the courtship stage. It depends on the person, on the people, on the models they have when they're very young. It seems like that's a yeah. very important thing. Yes, yes, and you know what? We don't all know that. I mean, we don't all know, we don't grow up thinking um, by the time I'm an adult, my parents or whoever or my Uncles, whoever was around me when I was a kid will determine how I behave towards my future, whatever partner. But that's the truth. That's how it tends to be. But what I do, there's a portion in my in the program that I do with couples called the Family and Friends Session. And uh, one of the programs I use maps their own attitude about their family of origin. And it's a really, really cool program. It's a prepare and reach program. And when we, when they map it, they get to uh, grade their families on how emotionally close they were and how flexible they were on roles, and then it maps their feelings about that towards the family. Was it a good thing or was it a bad thing? And so that kind of tends to give a good idea to the person on how they feel about the family of origin. But then I tell them, none of us gets to choose our families of origin. So what we get to choose is what we bring in from the family and what we leave out. So I always ask them, what's the one good thing that you liked about your family growing up that you would like to bring into your relationship? And what's one thing that you didn't like and you don't want to bring into your relationship? And then we kind of talk about how to do that. And a lot of people will say, maybe my family was really close. We did a lot of things together. We used to talk a lot. So then I ask them, okay, so let's work on your communication skills. And maybe they'll say, maybe my family wasn't flexible. Nobody wanted to switch roles on anything. Um, Maybe my dad was really harsh or maybe my mom was really harsh. And then we talk about it. I'm like, so how do you prevent that from happening? And I walk them, I look at their personality profile, and I kind of walk them through it. I'm like, okay, so this is where you tend to be leaning towards that. So how do we fix that so that you don't bring that into your future relationship? So being how you're born doesn't necessarily determine exactly how our lives are going to be because you can always change it. You can choose what to bring in and what to leave out. Okay. Um yeah. That just made me uh, think of something. Which is like this is again another digression. I was listening. To, <laughs> I will digress a lot today. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. I, I was listening to this uh, Africa African American guy who was who was talking about um, you know he's he was giving dating advice to people and you're saying that when if you want to date an African and you'd probably know more about this since you're in the states if you want to date an African American woman make sure you choose an African American woman who had a father because. The problem yeah. that tends to happen um, in African-American communities, he said, is that when a woman, when a girl is raised by a single mother, um, because of going a lot of issues from slavery mixed in with the way they relate to each other today, what tends to happen is that woman, if that um, child doesn't have a father, the mother will just tell her nothing but negative things about men. The men that will come into her life will come and go. So she, as she grows up, she'll develop a very, very negative view of men. And so... Yeah, that just made me think about that. And I, I don't know, is that, have you tended to, I don't know if you know much about the African-American community. Or well, you, sorry. No, continue. Go. I was going to say, yeah, I've canceled. I've had a few, um, I've had some sessions with couples who are African-American and actually couples who are all dating interracially on all aspects. 
and I'll say this, it's true that if you do date a girl who didn't grow up with a dad, it presents a different challenge in that you kind of have to find out um, how she views the whole dad experience and how she views men in general. I wouldn't just say that, well, maybe he was talking um, about African-American women because he was an African-American. Yes, he was. And he kind of had an inside, yeah, he had inside information also on how, I guess, the whole um, relationship dynamics work. But in my experience, too, guess what? It goes across racial lines and cultural lines. Growing up without a father simply affects the woman a lot, affects the woman's perceptions about guys. And, you know, when you say that, it just goes to what I said about the other extreme, where the, the woman grows up with a very um, negative attitude towards men. Um, and, and exactly what you said, not having any kind of trust in a guy. And if their dad cheated on their mom, they'll, they'll probably expect their future spouse to cheat on them. So there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. And when that's why the whole family session and finding out your, the background helps a lot in determining. That's why I'm such a huge proponent of premarital counseling. I mean, if you're dating somebody and you kind of think you're getting serious enough to think about marrying them, that's when I suggest, okay, you need to have your premarital counseling because you need to find out all these things and then decide if you still should go ahead because one of the things that has developed over the last couple of years in premarital counseling and premarital education is that the goal is not always to keep the couple together. The goal is to help the couple make a wise decision if they really should get married or should they just kind of let it go and decide to keep on looking for someone else. Because you'd rather have a broken engagement really than have a broken marriage. So that's taking it to the other end of it on the whole uh, missing dad and girl girl issues. Um, and talking about myself, like I, I, I don't know if I shared with the audience yet, but I did grow up with my single mom back in the 80s in Kenya, and that was very rare then. Now it's kind of the in thing. It's sad that it is happening now a lot more, but then it was really rare. And so my whole attitude about guys was shaped by my mother's attitude towards men. And the most interesting thing is my mother never allowed us ever to disrespect my dad in the way we talked about him, even though we didn't know him and I had very negative feelings about him, but she never allowed us to disrespect him in our speech. And so, and then watching how she allowed us to interact with her, um, her brothers and then their families, and they kind of became like a large extended family of dads and my granddad. And then my older brother was always my hero. So that kind of shape, she didn't allow me to move into the all men are horrible and all men can be trusted role. So I think mothers, single mothers have a huge, huge responsibility also to shape their daughter's views by not allowing them to think that all men are evil. So maybe that's my own plug about that because I, I went through that personally. And um, when I got with my husband, um, he came from a different family. He comes from a large family that has, his dad has three wives. And they, all the kids are 15, they're 15 kids. And they all grew up together in the same house. And so for him, he had a whole different dynamic on families. And so when we came to meet, um, the only issue I found myself having, by the way, which a lot of girls in single parent homes will have is having issues with male authority. <laughs> I have to tell you, like, what are you going to tell me again? Because I grew up seeing my mom do everything and be everything to all of us. And so I had to learn how to share that authority and actually how to relinquish it, find a freedom in relinquishing some of the authority and just letting my husband do some of the stuff and make some of the decisions. And then I found out he'll always make decisions that are good for the family and he'll always 
consult me. He won't just decide something without consulting me. So that takes a process too. And again, comes back to premarital counseling. Really, really necessary so you can kind of gauge your attitudes about that, um, how you grew up um, for the single girls. For the, for the guys who grew up with a single mom, that's a whole different ballgame because of their attitudes towards their dads and also what they think about their mom. Because then if a guy grows up only with a mom, they're also too extreme. They either become a mama's boy, whatever mama says goes. Even when they get married, they still have to be a mama's boy, which ends up being a problem. And then, or you have them having issues with their mom because their mom was either harsh or their mom dated a lot and the kids didn't like that. And so they also end up having disrespect for women, in which case then you have to work with that. You have to kind of do the whole counseling portion and figure if that's something that he wants to bring into his relationship. So growing up without the... Without a, with only one single parent brings its own unique issues in a relationship, and it's good to deal with them. It doesn't doom your relationship. I mean, I'm, I'm proof of that. You get to work through it, but it's a good thing to kind of be aware of and, and get and prepare. Okay, all right. We'll move to authority soon, but I guess I don't, I don't know why this this particular issue. This anyway, it fascinates me. This, the final okay. thing is. The um, like I, I always wonder: is there, is there, does there tend to be? Because you say uh, we've spoken a lot about how you know the behavior of the parents tends to influence the way people think about things, and I'm just wondering, considering now that this is a post-feminist world and Africa is still very yeah. chauvinist and very, you know, the man is is boss and everything like that, does does that create a lot of conflict? I guess in African girls, because I mean, in most African houses, what the man says is the is the last word. So does that yeah. conflict very greatly? for African women today. Yes, yes. Which brings up something that you had um, kind of emailed me about, the whole concept of African men having a problem with African women. And actually, I would put it educated African women um, and Western educated African women to even be more specific. Because then you've kind of gotten the idea of the whole feminist thing that the woman will just be as equal as a guy. Hello? 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 Okay. All right, I'm here. Okay. I'm here. And so if the guy um, has issues of being um, chauvinistic, so to speak, then that makes it very hard. That makes it hard for the girl to adjust. And so that's when you find the idea of some guys are starting to think that they will just travel back to Africa and get a wife, um, and then that wife will be able to live in the African mode without challenging them on their beliefs and all that. And so you have that dynamic going. So what does that mean for the educated African woman who is either at home in Africa or is here in the West? What does that mean for them? And what it means, what I've found out that it means for them is that they need to decide again on their non-negotiable, what is it that they want in a guy? Because the first thing that any woman will tell you is they want to be respected, not just loved, but also respected. Because if a guy treats you in a chauvinistic manner, he's not showing any respect at all. So that tends to be a problem. And one of the things actually I found out working with African couples here, that's one of the issues that couples are dealing with. Because the guy comes here, they both come here, but he forgets that roles have changed because they both have crazy work schedules and crazy school schedules. And if they have kids, that's a lot of work also on top of it. And then at home, we tended to have nannies because they were cheaper. So most of us might have grown up with a nanny because it was cheaper to have someone work in the home while mom worked. 
Um, but here you don't really get the luxury of hiring nannies. And so by the time the wife comes home in the evening, she's just as tired as the husband. And if the husband has not adjusted from um, the African mentality of things were a little easier at home, and they really were, and then he brings that mentality here, then that stresses his wife even more. And then you find that whole tension going where he says, she's changed so much, she's become so Western, she doesn't respect me as a man, and so I'll trade her in for an other African wife who actually behaves like an African wife. And so you find that being kind of the conflict. Um, do I fault the guys? Yeah, to an extent. And do I fault the women? Yeah, to an extent, because we both, both sides need to communicate on expectations when you're here, because life in the West is not life in Africa, that's for sure. Okay. So I guess that brings us to the next question of what is the role of authority? Role of authority. Um, that authority word is like the biblical word for submission that women, we hear a lot in church about wife submission to the husband. Um, what I'll say about authority is it depends on what it means to a particular couple. Because authority can mean, for example, couples get to decide, and this is actually one of the, in, um, we have a financial session in, one, in the classes that I, that I give, and one of the things I tend to ask the couple is who's better with finances in your relationship? And that way, who do you expect to handle the checkbook, the investments, any of that stuff? Who do you expect to handle that? Because it's good to give authority to the person who's gifted in the area, not necessarily say the man has authority on everything or the woman has authority on everything in the home. Because surprisingly, you'll find out some guys are really, really good cooks and they don't mind cooking. So does that mean that the wife feels slighted because the husband likes cooking three days out of the week? And then do you find the husband really getting angry because the wife actually is really book smart accounting and she's better at looking at investments and making money decisions for their home? So I think authority, the way a couple should decide authority, should be based on what each partner's gifts are in the different areas they're deciding on. That's what I really feel about it. Okay. So I guess um, considering how um, arbitrary the rules and the non-negotiables and everything is, then I guess it brings the question, what really is then the role of getting married in the first place? Why? Because it's, I mean, you could, you could make a case even biblically either way for getting married yeah. because, you know, the, the man himself was not married. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, great people in the Bible were not married. So you, even biblically, you can't really say that it's one of those things that's necessarily a sin not to get married. So, um, as far as religion goes, there's no really set rule on that. And culturally, really, if the rules are so arbitrary and so, um, negotiable, what really is the role of getting married in the first place? Well, the role of getting married has always been, um, to propagate your family line. That's, a, that's pretty much in every culture. That's the number one thing that um, people would tend to share, at least for quite a couple of decades, um, to continue your family line going. The other part of it was that's how you build a society through families, through, and families tend to be created through marriage. Now, um, take an example of here in America where there's a whole battle on marriage and everybody's like, why get married? Everybody's getting divorced. It's not true, but they keep quoting that 50% of marriages end in divorce. That's half the truth on what statistics they're looking at. Mm. And so even with all those statistics, the funny thing is 90%, 90% of Americans will at least get married once in their lifetime. So that tells you that marriage, even though people think it should be a post-modern exclusion or whatever, 
it's still the most popular thing that people do. Even when you quote all these divorce statistics, there are tons of girls still planning their weddings despite that because um, there's something very special in letting the public know that you have made a public commitment that is a, that is kind of sealed by law that everybody knows that you're married. Think about our African customs of marriage before British. For example, in Kenya, before we learned about Western law and going to court and going to church, getting a certificate, all that. In Africa, what we used to do, even in Kenya, at least what my grandma and what we used to learn, was the clan would get together and the marriage would be a ceremony that is blessed by the elders in the village. It, it didn't have a piece of paper, but guess what? The community was involved. That's how they sealed. You have to have witnesses to seal the relationship. And so marriage is ingrained. Even without, quote-unquote, the piece of paper, the society still sees it as the best way to advance generations and the best way to keep the stability of the society going. Am I, uh, whatever, an advocate for marriage? Yes. Am I an advocate for people being single? Yes. If you want to be single for the rest of your life and that's the choice that you've made, that's fine. That's fine too because there are tons of single people who are productive in life and who are happy doing what they're doing. But what I would say is don't get married because you're feeling lonely. And don't stay single because you're mistrusting being in a relationship. Find a good reason for being single and find a good reason for being married. What's the role of children as far as you see it? Um, the role of kids in a relationship should be that kids come into a stable relationship. Um, one thing that uh, women are told is that having a kid with a guy will not make the guy stick around. Because women tend to do that a lot. It's unfortunate. But we tend to think that if we have a baby with somebody, they'll, they'll want to hang around with us. And that's not true because if a guy doesn't want to hang around, he wouldn't just hang around because you have a child. He can move on. Um, you don't find men really doing that, thinking I'll have a child with this girl and then she'll stay with me. But guys don't really think like that. And so the role of children should be having them in a stable relationship where you're both ready to have them. Now, um, do people have children and planned children? Yes. And a lot of people do that and then find out um, these were the biggest blessings in their lives. So I'm not saying that um, in every instant everybody will have a planned child and will have a wonderful relationship that followed all the steps and all that. No, because children come anyway. The way that I was taught growing up and what my mom told me was any child that has been born in the world will be a blessing and will bring its own blessings into the world. And so the role of children in a marriage um, First of all, they should not strain the marriage, the relationship. The children should not take priority in the marriage. And you know what? That's really, really hard for a woman. Because as natural, we tend to jump fast at what, when something goes wrong with the kids and we'll drop our husbands like a hot potato for our kids any day. And so it's very hard to remember that your first relationship is with your husband, your spouse, and then with your kids. Because this person will always be there for you. And the kids will leave home when they turn 18 or 21. At home, they used to leave after they turn 26. But now um, kids leave when they turn 18. They're going to college, and then after that, they go live in their own apartment, so to speak. And so you need to still nurture the relationship with your spouse. Because here's the funny thing. Remember when I talked about how we view our relationship partners based on our, on our parents? Guess what? These same kids are watching us as parents how we are relating with each other. And so these kids, we are, remember we are also now building in them their model for the future, how they're going to look at relationships, 
how they're going to treat women. Like if my husband, for example, was a casting kind of guy and he's not, but if he was, guess what my three-year-old would be doing, talking the same kind of way my husband talks. And so the role of children for us, it should um, keep us on our toes in a way to remind us that we have a responsibility to the next generation. But the children are not there just for our own benefit. They're really there also for their own benefit, which brings about this other issue that people have. Should we live out our dreams through our children? Which, which is why you find a lot of parents, everybody has their kids in tons of different classes because I never got a chance. Think about us as Africans. When you come here, the first thing you find out about the West is how many opportunities are out there. And so the temptation to put your kids in everything because they can do it is huge. But you have to think about it. Are you just giving them opportunities to be all they can be and what you couldn't be, or are you living your dreams through them? Because that's my point. Parents should not live their dreams through their children. And so that's one of the hard things that um, we have to balance. And that's one of the things we all as parents have to struggle with every day. And remembering that um, the children actually, <laughs> the way we look at them, kids are alone and a gift from God. They're not our personal possessions to push around. That's the way I put it. And so um, it's our role to nurture them and love them and prepare them for their own roles, productive roles in the world. But we should remember that they will have their own dreams and God will have his own purpose for their life. And so in our, in our cases, we are being honored to be the stewards over them for a, for a period of time. And then when they get to be adults and they have their own families, they get the same opportunity to be stewards to their own children. And they get uh, loaned or gifted by God with their own children who they get to take care of. So I think that's the way that I, I look at, at kids' roles in a, in a marriage. Now, um, the early years of marriage and then you have kids, that tends to be a huge, huge issue because you're adjusting to being parents. You're also adjusting to being married. And so that can bring a huge stress on any marriage. I won't lie about that. That can bring a lot of stress. When you have to deal with little kids, you have to deal with work schedules, you have to deal with school schedules, and that's across the board, not just Africans here in the West, but Africans at home. I have my friends who we email and they're sharing the same thing, the struggles they're going through with having little ones running around and then you have all these other things you have to do. So our priorities have to remain your family first, meaning, your, of course, your spouse, and then your kids, and then whatever else you are. So... That's kind of how I look at it. Okay, um, and something you talked about was how you know the 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 wives tend to drop the husband for their children, you know, like a hot potato. Why? Because I've heard I've heard a few people talk about that, um, and, and yeah. I've actually um, the people I heard it from were people who are actually pretty young. They hadn't even hit their thirties, and pretty much what they were saying is yeah. that it's it's as I mean, like okay, the, it, this was the context was um, I was talking to a friend of mine about uh, people who have affairs. And uh, like the, yeah. apparently some men just say, I mean, I, I may as well. I mean, she doesn't even notice that I'm around, so I, I don't even think she'd notice that yeah. I'm cheating. So why why does that happen, and what are the effects, and what are the ways to prevent it or, you know, deal with it? Yeah, yeah, that's a really, really, really good question, and um, I'll tell you why. The first, what happens when we first of all after we after we give birth and have the kids, there's this um, whole rush of hormones, first of all, to bond us to our kids. And what happens, the, nat- the mother in you, so to speak, for the women, the mother in you takes over, the maternal instinct, so they, um, so they call it. Um, is it 
that strong in every woman? Not really, but guess what? For most women, it's a really strong bond. And most mothers, I would say 99% of mothers will tell you that we will crawl on broken glass for our children. If you ask us, will you do the same thing for your husband? We'll be like, I'll think about it. <laughs> Not because we don't love them. Not because we don't love them. But it's just something so unique about this little child we carried in our womb for nine months. They share our blood. They ate within us. There's such a strong, strong bond with them. And there's also what they say, that the child will always have your blood forever. Forever and ever. And so, but that doesn't, by the way, that doesn't give us an excuse to neglect our husbands. Sorry for any of the ladies listening. It doesn't give us an excuse to neglect our husbands. Because guess what? This is the same guy you're hoping is going to be there for you and help you in rearing these kids. And also you're hoping that he's going to be romantic towards you. So we also have a responsibility in making sure um, that we keep our end of the bargain in being spouses. Of course, one of the things that people will share with you especially uh, new parents and parents of little kids, the first thing to go out of the window is a regular sex life in marriage. And um, and that tends to be a problem for the guy, obviously, because on average, not all the time, now research shows it kind of spikes in women as well, but on average, men tend to require more intimacy than women. And so if this guy has waited, like for the last couple of months during pregnancy, most guys really will not want to be intimate. But right after the baby, they're like, I've waited for so long, so now it's time. And then the lady's like, no, no, I'm bonding with my baby, I'm not ready, blah, blah, blah. And then she gets busy with the baby in the first year, and, and everything about taking care of the husband has kind of gone down the drain. And then that ends up being a problem. Now, am I putting all responsibility for intimacy on the wife? No, but I'm saying that we should, we cannot give an excuse of the baby, the baby, the baby all the time. Because guess what? We would never let a guy get away with that excuse. So it's not fair to let ourselves as women get away with that excuse either. Um, one of the things that I found that worked for me and my husband, and what I've also found out with our friends, because we have friends in the same, they've been married about the same time, 10 years or so, and they all have kids, and we kind of talk about it too. And one of the things we found out is a regular dating life within marriage works miracles. I mean, at the beginning, it might just be one date a week or maybe a date every two weeks. But it's a huge deal because you go on your date and the first rule is you don't talk about the children and you don't call home to find out how they're doing within the date. It's a very hard thing to do, but it starts bringing back the romantic feelings that you had towards each other. Because guess what? You need that uh, stable uh love adult relationship and that's what's going to give enable you to have that successful bonding with your little one um with your little ones in school because they normally say the best gift gift that a man can give his kids is to love their mother that's what they say that's what the saying says and so for women remembering the same applies to us that we can't really we can't excuse neglecting our husbands over our children we really can't excuse because there are ways to go about it. Have a friend, have families, or maybe even get a babysitter for just an hour or two hours. Just go out for dinner and not talk about the kids and don't don't carry the cell phone. Or if you carry the cell phone, don't call home. Um, and, and it works. And I'll tell you what, it's very hard. If for any of the ladies there who are either expecting or about to have their first babies, it gets to be very hard. The first date you have, you want to call home so bad. So it's nice when you have somebody who says, no, you're not going to call home. And that's exactly what my husband did on our first date after the baby was born. He took my cell phone during the date, 
And he said, you're not going to call home. You're not going to find out. And I was twiddling my thumbs. And then when we got home, the baby was fine. Everybody was fine. And I had fun. So that's a good, that's a good way to keep your relationship going. Okay. And what would you say is the role of, um, since, you know, we're, we're so heavily, in fact, I, I think it was, uh, today, I was listening, it was actually with, I was listening to uh, marketing, someone talking about marketing, and he was talking about how we don't even realize just how much our behavior affects each other, just how, how much, um, how socially influenced we are. I mean, it would astound us if we ever, if we ever took a moment to realize how much people's behavior and the way they act actually affects everything we do. And so, what is the role of you know um, of having friends? Um, what what role should you what what um, how would I put this? What type of friends or what type of relationships, mentors, should uh, tend to be ideal for you know for good relationships? Oh, for a good relationship, that's a good good question because guess what? Our friends really influence the decisions we make in life. So I would say this: I'll start with dating. If you're dating, you're currently dating. Chances are your friends will kind of look out for you. They'll be like, ah, no, that's not a nice guy. That's not a nice girl. Or maybe this is, actually, this seems to be a nice girl, a nice girl. So your friends tend to look out for you on that respect. Now, when you move to more serious, where you're seriously dating and then you start sharing with your friends that you might be thinking about this person as a marriage partner, then if you have good friends, they'll start giving you objective reviews on the person. And because these are people who have known you for a while, it's good to take their thoughts it's good to consider their thoughts, not to make it the ultimate um, decision maker, but it's good to consider their thoughts because they know you. Um, but you also have to be careful. If you have friends who've had very negative experiences with either with either sex, you need to be careful of their skepticism and you need to be careful of maybe some of the negative things they might share with you um, just to take it with a grain of salt, knowing their own background experience. Now, friends in marriage are crucial because if you have a friend who is likely to undermine your marriage, you might want to start putting them on the back burner. If you find that you have a, a friend who um, seems not to respect your marriage on whatever whatever way, if they're always coming and making snide remarks or rude remarks about your husband or your wife, then you need to be careful about how close you want to keep them to your family. Because, again, it's, um, it's an old thing, but it's the truth. Uh, if you have... If you hang out with bad people, they will corrupt your character. If you, have, if you hang out with good people, they'll, they'll help you improve your character and actually improve your vision and your outlook on life. So in marriage, it's really, really crucial. And also the other sad thing about marriage is if you have friends who don't respect your marriage and they tend to cross the friend boundary in marriage, that's when you end up having affairs between friends and husbands or, or wives. And, of course, that's the, that's the worst kind of mess to deal with. So you kind of need to look at that. How, how do your friends relate to your either partner now, your dating partner? And if you're married, then how do your friends respect, are they respecting your marriage? And if they don't respect your marriage, then you can take that into consideration. Is it from a good point? Do they really care about you? Or do they want to pull you down because they themselves have not had a good relationship? So I think that's the way I would look at friendships. But what I would say is, Friendships are crucial, crucial, crucial. And I would say um, keep your friends if you can, but find new friends who are in the same place of life that you're in. If you're a young married couple and all your friends are single friends, that could end up being a problem. Find a way to go to groups where you can meet new 
um, married couples too, young married couples just like you who are going through the same thing and you can relate to them, but you're also relating with your single friends. And that way, in every stage of your life, you're acquiring new friends to walk along the journey with you. I don't know if that can be Yes, it does. What about role models, the role of role models? Uh, in yes. a marriage or in a relationship? I don't, at, at all stages. It matters a lot. At all stages. Okay, role models matter a lot. Now, it's not always easy to get a role model. Um, simply because our lifestyles tend to be so busy and so erratic, we barely get time to even say hi to our own family members. But role, role models matter. They matter a lot. Like if you see a couple that you really admire, like when we were dating, we all, if you ask anybody, they have one couple at least they know that's married. And they either look up to them, they really think they have a good marriage or a good relationship, and they look up to them. Well, maybe that's your role model, and maybe you want to find out from them what worked for them, what they think is a good idea. And so role models help a lot. What I found out here, and they're doing it at home too, because I have a friend who is involved in a marriage ministry at home. What they're doing is they're starting to train, they're called marriage mentors. And what they do, these are older couples who've been married for 10 years or more. Not not older couples, but couples who've been married for 10 years or more. And they come alongside newlywed couples and kind of walk them through all these rough edges in the beginning. Um, and it's it's been a tremendous relationship. Actually, the rates of divorces for couples with mentors are very, very low. Because you have somebody who comes along and t- kind of tells you, you know what, we've been here and we did this and it worked or it didn't work. And when you look at it, think about how it used to be at home. Everybody was around us. Everybody gave us advice. When a husband and a wife would have a fight, um, all of a sudden the relatives, everybody would get involved, and maybe they, someone would be sent to your home to let you know, you know what, we all go through this fight. It's not the end of the world, so hang in there. So we always kind of had mentors within the family system. But now, because of the way we are living lives, apart from our extended family, so to speak, Mentors play a big role. If you find a couple that can mentor you, even as you're dating, it's a good idea because they kind of help you avoid a lot of the pitfalls that um, some of us end up falling in. So that's how I view the role of mentors and role models. This has been the Displaced African Podcast. The Displaced African is the African Immigrant's personal development blog. You can find it at www.thedisplacedafrican.com. 